Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue and I'm an author, a journalist and a Patsy Cline times two enthusiast. Joining me is podcaster and founding member of the Licorice Comfits, Alan McGuire. Today we're talking about Nick Hornby's High Fidelity. Hi. Hello. Um, what are your top five reasons for choosing this book? Oh my God. Okay. Um, I have read it more than any other non-Terry Pratchett book, I think. Okay. So it's the, the most appropriate book to pick for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very funny. Mm. It's about relationships. Mm. It is... Got two more left. Two more left. It is about men in a way that men can learn from. Oh, in a way excellent that point. Most other books aren't, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and a real. I'm very similar to you in the sense that I've read this book more than any other book. Mm. I think I picked it up when I was about seventeen, and there was a point in my life where. Um, this book, the High Fidelity, was both my favorite album, film, and book. <laughs> it was a real simple time for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you come to film or book first? Film first. It was mm. one of the first films me and my wife ever watched together mm. when we were. It came out in two thousand. So, yeah, we were like sixteen, seventeen, I think, when we saw that. Yeah. Um, we started going out in two thousand one. It's um, kind of the perfect date movie in many ways. It kind of is, but I was thinking because um, I've always thought that I. Um, learned how to be in like an adult relationship from not being like running away from what Rob is mm. but I'm also wondering if maybe it got into my head too early as a 16 yeah. year old to take in that you should stick with the relationship you have no matter what <laughs> <laughs> like, I love my wife and I'm very very happy that I think everything has worked out 18 years later yeah uh, 18 years today actually as a mm. recording um, 18 years today yeah yeah oh my god congratulations thank you for um, doing what Rob could never do exactly um <laughs> But yeah, so that's, I think it's, yeah, it's a good day. It is a good day movie. It's, yeah. Because it's funny and about relationships, but not in a way that would make you awkward on a first date, I think. Yeah. 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 I think it's also a nice one to rewatch with your partner, especially when you're younger and you don't have a lot of the dialogue that you need to mm-hmm. have a relationship. And you can kind of be like, is this like in High Fidelity when, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> am I Sarah Kendrew? Um, so I'm going to do a quick plot summary. Rob is a 30-something record shop owner and pop music fanatic who has just been dumped by his long-term girlfriend, Laura. Perplexed as to why his relationships keep going so badly wrong, he decides to track down his five most memorable ex-girlfriends to find out why he is destined to be alone. And the five are Alison Ashworth, Penny Hardwick, Jackie Allen, Charlie Nicholson and Sarah Kendrew. Do you see your name on that list, Laura? (laughs) Um, I love how this book starts. I think it's an incredibly smart way to begin a book. Um, and it's got this little prologue where he just says, my top five desert island breakups are this. And he names those five women. Mm-hmm. And then he says, do you see your name on that list, Laura? And he goes into this explanation of um, 
you know, maybe if you'd gotten to me earlier when skins were thinner and hopes were higher, uh, you could have made a dent, but too bad, no cigar kind of thing. And it's such a brilliant summation of the rawness and also the jadedness that people feel after a certain age when they're having another breakup, you Mm. know? This is the first time I've read Amoshit since I was actually his age. So yeah. I was always like 10 years younger than him at least. Really. You're not exactly his age. Um, by the time this comes out, I'll be exactly his age. I'm 24 <laughs> now, I'll be 35 when this comes out. Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's, I'm a bit like, and I think I'm, I'm probably also the worst person to talk about relationships because I've had one mm. and I have no So exes. you didn't even have an Alison Ashworth. You didn't even have like someone you kissed when you were 12 uh, and then went off with Kevin Bannister. No, I had one girlfriend for two weeks and we never actually got around to kissing, but Aww. we got each other Christmas presents. <laughs> like Caroline's literally the fifth and last person I've ever kissed. So it's, I'm a terrible relationships advice person in mm-hmm. general. Because um, your advice is always, you should marry them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it's, if it was Carlan, here's what you would do. You would put on some true crime and yeah, yeah. that's kind of thing. But um, yeah, so I think like as a 35 year old now, I'm kind of like, I feel like Rob feels a bit, feels younger in a way. Mm. I think um, possibly because I am so like settled down and stuff. Um, so he reacts to things in quite a destructive way that I, would have maybe most men haven't gone out of that I don't know mm. maybe I even haven't gone out of it maybe I just haven't been confronted with that situation so I don't yeah. know um, he's quite yeah. knowingly childish about things yes I think he gets more of an awareness of that as it goes on he is quite the douchebag at the start I think I he's think. a douchebag throughout well yeah but also yeah. it's one of those things and one of my fa- I'm jumping the gun a little bit but one of my favourite parts of the book um, I'll actually skip to it yeah, we're on. So, so we're on this journey with Rob. This whole book of um, he's left Laura, and he slowly realizes that he doesn't feel okay about about breaking up with Laura. That she has gotten to him. That she has mm. gotten under his skin. And we're on this journey with him, and he's neurotic, but he's that kind of Woody Allen neurotic that, as a '90s audience, definitely you grow to love. I think now the parlance is like, ugh, neurotic men, like get yeah. over it or whatever. But I think he was such a endearing hero because it, the his world he lives in is so attractive like the kind of the grunginess of that mm. shop and um, oh yeah I've been in that shop oh I, yeah I know that shop in, and I, like, I love that shop yeah it's BPM Records in Waterford or Plugged in Cork I was about to say <laughs> yeah. Plugged in Cork yeah, yeah. Um, and it definitely gave me an early romance for record shops mm. and uh, yeah but then we find out on page 80 which for a, a relatively slim book is quite far in why actually they broke up so people will remember this in the film as the moment um, when Joan Cusack walks into the shop and she goes, hi, Rob, you fucking asshole. <laughs> um, so this is what comes just after that. I don't I, I do not know what precisely Laura said, but she would have revealed at least two, maybe even all four of the following pieces of information. One, that I slept with somebody else while she was pregnant. Two, that my affair contributed directly to her terminating the pregnancy. Three, that after her abortion, I borrowed a large sum of money from her and have not as of yet repaid any of it. Four, that shortly before she left, I told her I wasn't happy in the relationship and that I was kind of, sort of, maybe looking out for someone else. Did I say and do these things? Yes, I did. Are there any mitigating circumstances? Not really, unless any circumstances, in other words, context, could be regarded as mitigating. And before you judge, although you have probably already done so, go away and write down the worst four things that you have done to your partner, even if, especially if, your partner does not know about them. 
Don't dress these things up or try to explain them. Just write them down in a list in the plainest language possible. Finished? Okay, so who's the arsehole now? And what's lovely about that is that he goes another 10 pages before he even explains the context for any of those terrible things. Mm -hmm. And it's just this brilliant look into how brutal relationships are, you know? Yeah, I mean, because if you spend a lot of time with someone, you will, in a variety of ways, accidentally just hurt them. It's just yeah. I, well, I, I like I'm, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> yeah. it just it just happens. You can't help it. I mean, obviously those ones have a lot more intent behind them than uh, like forgetting to put out the rubbish or whatever. But um, yeah. I mean, I when I read that bit the other day, I was like, I am not going to write down those things. I'm not no. even going to try to confront that. I've read that yeah. paragraph so many times in the last ten years. Yeah. And I have not, as of yet, done any of them. Yeah, you and know? it's they cut that bit. Like have all of that verbatim except for that last bit in the film as well. It's interesting that they cut that bit out. Yeah. Because I think it would just take everybody out of the film because everybody would be going, oh God, what have I done? You right. know? Whereas yeah. the book, you can sit with it for a little while, but with the film, you can't. So they have to cut that out. Right. And yeah. and even, and the film is one of those films where he talks to the camera. So mm. it could be there. And I think, yeah, I think it. it's funny how often we've both read it and how we've neither of us done it. And I have done some terrible things in relationships, mm. but all of which I give context to. Like, oh, well, he was this, he was that, he was toxic, he was whatever. But like, does that explain cheating on three separate people you know (laughs) (laughs) um and i i think that's the sort of core of the book is that it is quite a chiclety commercial book but it's really brutal yeah it's really brutal that's actually i want to talk about that a bit because it never occurred to me that it was chiclet until the very first episode of sentimental garbage when you mentioned nick hornby yeah i was like oh i guess it is I suppose yeah. because I don't I haven't read much of what gets covered on Sentimental Garbage really I've started reading mm-hmm. it now based on the podcast what, what, um, do you, what have you read what do you like so I've read Crazy Rich Asians yeah I've read Americana oh great I have bought The Lost what was it The Lost, Lost Art of Secret Secret and um, oh the, well, I've, I've read uh, Marion Keys before as mm-hmm. well obviously because hello Marion um, <laughs> and oh I'm going to buy some Sophie Kinsella as well oh, you, you would like that a lot I thought yeah. I might yeah, yeah. so um so, yeah, explain to me what in what way it is. What does it have in common? So, yeah, I think people will be confused as, as its inclusion. I think what's really interesting about Nick Hornby as a writer is, first of all, he writes in a way that is has a lot in common with your Marion Keyses or mm-hmm. your Sophie Kinsella's in that there is a kind of a jauntiness to the prose that hides... And a contemporariness as well. It's very contemporary. It's very yeah. like that thing of like name checking celebrities, name checking pop cultural things, mm-hmm. naming real London locations. That's quite a trope of Chicklet, I feel. Yeah. And so it's like this very approachable, breezy, jokey, humorous, um, endearing world that it's, like yeah. also is about these very deep relationship truths. And I also think that Nick Hornby, despite I think it was called Dicklet when it came out, okay. and it was it was this kind of the conversation around him when it, when he first emerged was that oh it's it's kind of what women are doing, but for men. But I think it was always read by women in order to try and understand men. Yeah, I think it's actually describing that it's kind of like a heightened ordinary. It's almost like a heightened ordinariness. Go it's on. like it's how you. So everybody wishes their inter- interior monologue was was like that witty and wise about everything but about yeah. very ordinary things mm. um, actually not to blow smoke but I think uh, Jane and Promising Young Women is a lot like that as well where she comes wow. up with very wise funny things all the time like the one thing um, and I think it's something High Fidelity and your book have in common it's like it's a very specific nugget 
from both is the thing about the good thing about being a couple or sorry the secret of being a good couple is it wanting the same holidays yeah. <laughs> which is a lot like uh, it's not what you like it's what you're like or the, the reverse which everyone he like you know yeah. both of those it's not what you're like it's what you like yeah which yes. is the false one that he eventually re- re- like reneges on in the book yeah not in the film but in the book he does because remember she brings him um, at the very end of the book first yeah. of all thank you yeah. <laughs> and um, at the very end of the book she brings him um, after Laura and Rob get back together and I think this, this, the time span of this book is about maybe two months long. Yeah, it's two to three months, I would say. Yeah. 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 Um, and she brings him to like some friends, some work friends of hers mm. who don't have particularly great taste, but who are really sound. Yeah. And she just has a, he's like surprised that he is even able to have a good time with people who don't like the same things as him. Yeah, because she tricks him because she lets them have a good evening first. And then when they go away, say, go look at the record collection. Yeah. And it's like multiple Simply Red albums. And so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I would judge. Like, I'm, I'm definitely a reformed snob. You think so? Oh, for for sure. Um, I, I'm i glad I read High Fidelity when I did. And also Juliet Naked are two Yeah, they're very, very complimentary books. Yeah, they're because they're both about... I was thinking that High Fidelity from Laura's perspective would be interesting. But I think that is kind of Juliet Naked. Yeah. Seeing Rob through someone else's eyes that has to live with him. Yes. It's kind of what Juliet Naked is. So Juliet Naked for the listeners is kind oh, of like a, a later book that um, came out... Uh, which is about a, a girl who is in a long-term relationship with a hyper fan of this uh, false kind of Nick Drake character mm. called Tucker Crow. And basically the whole book is about his fandom and how exhausting and, and isolating and alienating it is and how it becomes like a wall between the two of them. And then she fucks Tucker Crow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so rewarding. It's a great, great book. Yeah. Um, but I've like I've definitely... I probably was lucky enough to not know those people, but just be the only one of them that I knew. So I think if that mm. if that behavior had been reinforced by anybody, it might yeah. have taken longer to snap out of it. Yeah. But definitely, like it took me a long time to like value pop music in any way. Yeah. Like, and still, if I have a choice, I'll listen to something with guitars in it. You know, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, I'm actually like cause all week I was listening to this high fidelity playlist that's eight hours of every song mentioned in the film and book. Sure. And I have never really been a lyrics person, but now that I have listened to what Rob listens to all the time, mm. I can see why he's miserable. Really? I can see how that would get into your head just not listen to nothing but those songs all the time yeah because it's all heartbreak and like mid-tempo and like Elvis Costello and it's just it, there's no pep anywhere you know yeah he has, no, he has no pep in his life really I think yeah it's just all about cataloging things rather than he doesn't seem to necessarily enjoy things yeah in the moment anyway very so, much so like there's yeah. even a part there's even a part in the book where he's finally gets off with Maria DeSalle mm. in one of the saddest and also most realistic one night stand um, <laughs> scenes that you, and then they kind of, they, they, she's this folk singer and they go back to her apartment and they're having this like lovely chat and he feels very nervous and he suddenly gets up to leave because he can't, so he's just out of this five year relationship mm. and then they, they have sex and it's fine. And then they kind of, he's, but he's worrying about it the entire time. Like in in a way that he's he's I don't even like sex really. Can't we just skip this bit and da, 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 and he's just he can't even he can't sing into the moment. And then they have this sort of like three a.m. conversation that's they're very frank about how neither of them particularly wants the other, and they're both just mm. very wounded from their previous relationships. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously have no experience whatsoever of that, unfortunately, <laughs> for for the podcast. Um, but it it feels true. Um, I definitely the bit where they're like getting to know each other and that where that where you spark with someone mm. is definitely familiar. That feels that felt very true where you just 
some people just that conversation just flows and it, and some people you don't and me especially I, most conversations do not flow with me at all um so when you do what an interesting career you've picked I, I know that's why <laughs> I, I like to listen to people that's why I have a co-host and why I host things because I like to listen to people rather than actually do the talking which is great to be on <laughs> here now um but yeah she's such an interesting uh, Marina Sala is so interesting because she's the American you know yeah the exoticness of just uh, but if you look at, have you looked up Susan Day pre-LA Law yes Google I her. have <laughs> she's like no offence to her, but she's quite an ordinary looking yeah. woman. It's, and, but the glamour of an American singer-songwriter. Would it's very Richard Curtis, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally is, actually, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah. wow, this American who's just come in from nowhere yeah. and, like, shaking this all up and saying words like horny. <laughs> <laughs> I love how, like, he, that's like the moment he becomes unattractive to her. Yes. Kind of in the book. It's so British. It's so yeah. 90s British masculinity. Oh, yeah. He is like a, a paragon of British 90s masculinity, like where yeah. he says in the start where he's describing himself and how like perfectly mediocre he is. Yes. And he's like, I'm feminist, but not like a radical feminist. And I like just, and like his five favorite films are like Scar, well, Scarface, Goodfa- Godfather 1 and 2, Goodfellas yeah. and Reservoir Dogs. Like, all right, Rob. Yeah. I know your posters. And, <laughs> he's, and he's delighted with himself because he's seen Love in the Time of the Cholera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I haven't read. So he has that on me. He does have but, that on me too. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, he is, um, he's, you know that where people always post on Twitter like, oh, the bar is so low for men and stuff. Yeah. Rob is kind of that one, like couple of notches above the bar is so low for men kind of person. He really, and he's yeah. really frank about it as well. Yeah. And it, there's this bit where he says like, I have had sex with 17 women. Am I, am I good looking? Am I rich? No, I'm none of these things. I just ask them questions. Mm. And I, f- I feel like, I really hope that a whole generation of men saw that and was like, oh, I, yeah, the code. I think, yeah. <laughs> it definitely because I mean, if you if you listen for even a minute to any woman ever, yeah. you know that they like it when you listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that so many men don't do that means there's not even a, a tinge of listening going on. Yeah. You know? The thing is, it's easy to slack Rob again yeah. because of that that list that I read out of all the terrible things that he's done to his um that he's done to Laura. Yeah. But it's like, and he, there are much worse things he does in the book that mm. I really want to get to as well. But for some reason, it's really hard to throw him out. Oh, know? yeah, because it's partly because he's surrounded by much worse men everywhere. Yeah. Like Barry and Dick and like his friends at his birthday party. Yes. Um, which is, if you have only seen the film, not or the book, is the grimmest scene in the book. Tell us a bit more about So scene. he realizes it's his birthday, basically the day of his birthday, because he's so thrown out by everything. And he God. rents three videos from the shop <laughs> Terminator 2 Naked Gun 2 and a half, and Robocop 2 oh my god and watches those with some some crisps and some cans cans of beer uh, and not it's not craft beer then it's like he had harp or something like oh god and then he realised he should probably do something and then he rings his parents and his parents are busy which is very sad um, and he eventually gets Marie LaSalle and her friend T-Bone and his much younger girlfriend and yeah. just two random men that he hasn't stayed in contact really Oh, and they're the and, most boring man in the world. Yeah. One of them is into Marie LaSalle's music, so he's able to like convince him to come out. Yeah. And the other man is someone who I've experienced in real life and um, is the most infuriating thing in the world. If, so nobody from work is going to listen to this. In work, <laughs> I used to go to lunch with um, basically like my group and it was like, it was all women and me and one other guy. Mm-hmm. And whenever the women started talking about quotation women stuff, yeah, and even if I was obviously listening to him and taking part in the conversation, he would just immediately turn and start talking to me about something else. Right. Always. And I was like, I'm... What, what, what counted as women's stuff? 
basically anything that wasn't computer games or football I think right yeah so not even just like you know gynecological stuff like, no, like, as I, in like did you see Sex in the City yeah like Fair City or something like that. yeah exactly yeah um, the two city shows yeah <laughs> a tale of two cities yeah uh, it was the worst of times and it was also the worst of times um, but yeah and the guy this guy in Five Daddy does the same thing basically whenever I was getting into a conversation he'll go uh, do you remember The Prisoner that was good wasn't it Oh. And then everybody would go, oh, yeah. Yeah. And then oh. everybody's talking about the prisoner and said, he's like, I was just talking. We were, she was midpoint when oh you said that God. to me in my ear, you know? Oh. It's, it's a, you can't do anything about it. You can't do There's we nothing all you can do. been there, yeah. regardless of gender, at that thing of like that person who is just like a glaring red flag for any social situation, not because they're particularly offensive, but because they're so like horribly boring and so unable to actually properly interact and, and I'm sorry I know people have like problems socially and stuff but that thing where like they're just their eyes are boring into you and they just want to keep like they want to keep you laser focused just on them and mm-hmm. you're like hey we're, we're all in a group let's maybe we all talk about Reservoir Dogs yeah. <laughs> and they're like oh remember this one that was good too wasn't mm. it oh it's so painful uh, yeah. that birthday party makes my hands sweat yeah I mean the book Rob is a much sadder person I think than Film Rob yeah because the Film Rob is John Cusack and he's just so brimming with charisma that you're like oh of course Catherine Zeta-Jones and (laughs) yeah I mean it's impossible to read the book now without hearing it in his lines yeah because there are so many iconic line readings I don't know if it's because I've seen the film like eight times but like every single bit you can hear it I I knew what was coming when I watched the film last night every single bit oh you watched the film again last night yeah I hadn't watched it in years so I wanted to see it because yeah because I'm having a Jack Black moment so Oh, it's a great moment to have. It's his moment. <laughs> his moment that you're manufacturing. That I'm manufacturing, yeah. Um, I think that the time is ripe to rediscover Jack Black. Because I think there was a moment where people got kind of sick of him because he was doing like kind of kids movies and stuff. And he was clearly mm-hmm. getting paid too much money to be paid in to be in really bad films. Yeah. Um, but there was a real sweet spot where School of Rock, High Fidelity, other stuff. Tenacious uh, D. The star Tenacious of Tenacious D. D. They brought an album last year. Which apparently is a thing, and they played like Vicker Street. Yeah, they still they keep yeah. on keeping on. I just think there's something genuinely very warm about Jack Black, and Daniel Orberg pointed out recently is like I'm convinced Jack Black is a trans man because he's so delighted with his own masculinity. He's so delighted, <laughs> like ah, oh, look at this. Oh, he's beard. Just, we talked about this on Juvenalia on our School of Rock episode. He's just ridiculously charismatic. Yeah, it's just this infectious charisma that. Um, most people ha- don't have the ability to tap into. It's like he's like tapped into like the universe's core of charisma somehow. He has like a, a special. <laughs> it's drill. like yeah, going rooted up right through his feet from yeah, the ground. Like a, yeah, uh, like a and a like a prism, a funnel for charisma yeah. or something. Yeah, but anyway, he's not in the book. So, uh, but his character Barry, Barry, yeah, is a really interesting one. And I actually, I there's there's, there's one bit as well, and it's so oh, it's such a incredible this credible observation of a certain kind of man where um so the, the, the two kind of sad men who work in the sad shop with him mm-hmm. are dick and barry and barry's super loud and dick's very quiet but like um dick finds a girlfriend and her name is anna moss and barry can't take the idea that like one of them is going to go off and find happiness so he just mm-hmm. starts to like torpedo at any opportunity he's like anna moss is she covered in moss is she green and like and, he, and rob's like yeah he does this with women's names he tries to like make it like sordid or weird and he just mm. like gives them these weird nicknames and then he tries to sort of take away their specialness yeah which is this i obviously i've, I've never been a man in a group of men uh, mm. but uh i can I, I definitely know that happens and i've seen that happen of like these men who just can't take 
the happiness of other men and just will just torpedo it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like if you even see um, like in a group chat, if a man like I've, just, I've I'm guessing here and based off stuff I've seen on Twitter of other men. Um, <laughs> but if a man acts like, like shows affection for his partner in in the lad chat. Yeah. It's like pounded upon really you, know? you can't really show enthusiasm for your relationships as as a most men you know wow i think it's really um no wonder you hang out with chicks so much yeah i do I, i'm not a good at being a man around men really um <laughs> but yeah barry is definitely a real person yeah he is many many real people like he's a, he's a gatekeeper yeah uh, which dick is a little bit as well dick is i guess it's they're kind of three different types of like toxic man. Rob is like yeah. the the one you only realize a little bit later was kind of being a bit shitty. Yeah. Barry is out like outright like a gatekeeper controlling Dick. Yeah. And then Dick is <laughs> the super quiet guy. But there's a bit in the book where Anna says, uh, or he mentioned Anna likes prefab prefab sprout. Yeah. And Dick says, but she kind of realizes now why she shouldn't, which is. Ugh, you I know, know. It's I was such like, a, it's such a throwaway line. How dare you, Dick? How dare yeah. you? Yeah, and it's this, it is that thing. And I think perhaps when Hornby wrote that, he just, mm. it was like a throwaway line of like, haha, a certain kind of guy who can't take his girlfriend, not like yeah. a good band. But I think reading it as a woman who's dated a lot of men, you're just mm. like, oh, I know that guy who just like won't, just kind of can't take the idea of someone not being exactly like him so just like softly softly mold yeah. and manipulate and then sooner or later the woman realizes she's been in this relationship with this turd for five mm. years and she's like what how <laughs> <laughs> why so i want to talk about the girlfriends um because there are as much as this book is really good at being men looking at other men mm-hmm. what makes it almost frightening as a woman is like how because you're always led to believe that when you're a woman dating men that they kind of don't have that much subtlety, you know what I mean? And like, it's like they're playing chess, but you're playing 3D chess, mm. you know? And everything's made of glass. And yeah. like, you see every level and they're just like, Durr. like yeah, in yeah. terms of emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, once Rob starts calling up all of his ex-girlfriends, which doesn't happen until like page 130, which is weird considering it's the crux of the book. Yeah. Um, he starts going on these little kind of dates and meetings with them trying to figure out like what went wrong what's wrong with him that these Mm. women keep leaving him and he the way he sees them is so uh so razor precise in in a way that's almost like slightly cruel like the one that to me is sarah kendrew is one Mm. that i find really interesting because sarah kendrew in his list of exes is the one who when they were 27 they were both um, heartbroken or in their, their mid-twenties they were both heartbroken and they neither of them were particularly attracted to one another but they decided to sort of pool their collective misery and uh, and just share a bed with each other or whatever and they end up do, like doing that for a few years and he says this thing which I think about a lot when I see relationships that I don't think make sense mm. which is um, that you know we could never fill a room together you know when it was just yes, us yes that line is yeah it's a killer, isn't it? It's a killer. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, because you immediately start thinking about yourself. Completely. You're like, do I think we do? I think, yeah. Because it's impossible how like because you've you've been in a couple for a long time as well. Yeah. And it's you do wonder how you look to outside people because the it reminds me as well of that line from Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Yeah. About are we the dining dead about couples in restaurants who don't talk to each other? Wow. You know, it's oh, that's a line. 
isn't it? It's yeah. just, it's, you really wonder. Um, Do you ever have that moment where you say you're on holidays with Caroline and yeah. you say you've been on holidays for like five days mm-hmm. and like you're having one of those things where you're in the restaurant, you're kind of, you're kind of tired from the sun and you're sort of like, don't have that much to say because there's been no news because you've been with <laughs> yeah. each other for five days. <laughs> yeah. And you, you really kind of have nothing to say to them. And for, and it's not like that you're unhappy. You're just perfectly fine to just look mm. at your phone for a bit until the, the bread comes. Yeah. And then you kind of are suddenly super anxious and aware that people are looking at you and that you're one of those couples that mm. other people look at like, God, how sad. And then I feel and this happens with Sarah in the book, with Sarah Kendrew, where they said whenever they're around people who they said they, they would um purposely seek out people who were meeker and more introverted than them mm. and when they were around them their voices would get higher and louder and they would pretend to be really boisterous and then as soon as they left those situations they would just go back to being these people who again couldn't fill a room together mm. and you do that and I do that in that restaurant situation I know you're like slightly more introverted than me and I tend to like speak way too much and too loud but I do this thing where I'm like god what a wonderful time we're having <laughs> and Kevin's like what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah I mean I what do I do? I do. I find that if in like a group dynamic situation where the loudest person is suddenly not there, I find myself getting louder. Yeah. But I don't just do it naturally. I, I do do it naturally. It's, it's an unconscious thing mm-hmm. where I remember like in our like our school group, there was like the one super charismatic guy who was like the head of the group. Yeah. Kind of the Charlie of the group, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if he wasn't there, I would find myself oh, like taking into that role a bit more and talking yeah. a bit more but then as soon as he was back I'd be like I'm the sidekick again you know yeah it's funny um, isn't it yeah because it's again it's like it's impossible to know because you know like I wonder how Rob and Sarah's friends saw them during that time if yeah. they knew because I remember like me and Caroline always thought we were quite like a quite boring couple but then her roommate at the time said like was like intimidated by how cool we were we were like sorry what <laughs> They were yeah. That we were like the cool couple to some people. And I was like, yeah. we're the cool couple. So what's really interesting about the book structure is that in the preface, we um, we get all the stories of these women as Rob knew them. Mm. So, you know, Sarah, was, and it's and I always remember the description, primary school teacher um, with brown hair, nice eyes, and looked like she always needed to go to the hairdresser. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, it's too accurate. And, um, you know, Alison Ashworth, who's, you know, 11 when they meet mm-hmm. or whatever. Charlie, who's this glamorous um, university student who's, like, into art and is kind of the first sort of inverted commas cool girl he ever meets. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, all, all these girls that he knows. And then we meet them towards the end of the book as the adults they are now. And um, Sarah is just like clearly quite depressed and she kind of takes her out for a pizza and she, it's kind of clearly the first time she's been out on anything that resembles a date in a long time. Yeah. And he says something like, and we both of us are too like liberal and enlightened to think that being single in your late 30s is the worst thing in the world. But it's hard to convince yourself when you wake up at Saturday morning and it's 10 hours until you have your next conversation. And it's like, again, it's a yeah. brutal book. And and mm. he kind of has this moment where he's like, I could have sex here, but I know it'll be the kind of sex where like, it'll be the kind of sex where the flat is sad and small and the cat will jump on and it'll be, and he kind of describes it. And he's like, he's basically already had the sex by the time he's processed it in his head and yeah. then he just leaves and he never sees her again. And we kind of get the sense like, oh, that, that woman could really end up anywhere. You know, she could end up selling jewellery on Etsy or having a mental breakdown. Um, yeah, like she could just she could end up with, like joining the salsa club and finding the love of her life. It's, 
but in it's very at the up moment, in the air. Have you ever watched um, Seven Up, the Seven Up series? The drink. You know, no, the one where like they interviewed these like a load of seven year olds in, the, in like nineteen fifty three, and they come back to them every seven years. Oh, I've heard on. of this. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what this is like. Yes, it is like that. It's where you come back and you go, because sometimes you come back to that show and some of them are in really, really bad places. And you come back in seven years later and they're doing much better. Yeah. And it's just, but they're, he's only seen these snapshots of these people. It's, this is obviously a low point for Sarah. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not necessarily the entirety of her life. But no. to, for that's all Rob's ever going to know of her because he's never going to see her again. Yeah. You know, and it's weird the way you kind of frame people like that. And, and that's and that's yeah. supposed the kind of, even though it's a really brutal and quite mean spirited book in many ways mm. that is hidden behind a quite jolly like exterior. Mm. Um, it is a kind of fantasy element of we all sort of wish we could see. How, I mean, you don't obviously because you know how your girlfriend's doing. <laughs> yeah. She's your wife. Um, <laughs> um, but you do kind of wish that you could just sort of drop in or have the confidence and the ego just to be like, what's going on? What happened? Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another one that we were texting a lot about as we were both rereading this and which is the most upsetting and problematic parts of the book and, the, and if, yeah. if if someone wants to make the argument for this book kind of falling out of the pop culture canon the argument they would make is the treatment and fate of Penny Hardwick for sure it's it's a very tough reread um, so do you want to go through Penny so what happens with Penny is when they go out they're 16, 17 when they're going, 16 yeah um and the language he uses around Penny, he never really saw Penny as a person, I think. Yeah. She was always just a pair of, of breasts that he wanted to touch. Yeah. Uh, he, like, he just says she's very nice. That's kind of all yeah. we get of Penny's personality from when they're going out. And, and at the beginning yeah. he says, she had nice hair, nice qualities. Her top five favorite recording artists were Carly Simon, <laughs> yeah. Joni Mitchell, n- nice girl choices. And that's yeah. brilliant the way he does that. Um, uh, and she, she probably ended up, you know, doing pretty well for herself. But I wasn't mm. interested in any of Penny's hard, and qual- any of Penny's nice qualities because I just wanted her breasts when I was sixteen. Yeah. So they break up. He breaks up with her because nothing ever goes anywhere. Quotation marks. Yeah. And then um, his friend walks into well, not a friend, a guy in his class who's a dickhead walks into his class. Yeah. Like three days later, and says, "I just had sex with your ex." Yeah. Um. So when he goes back to meet her, um. 25 years 25 later. 25 years later. And he starts talking about all this. She tells him that she was raped. Yeah. And he is just completely self-centered and yeah. callous about it. I'm going to I'm gonna find that passage because I think yeah. we, we owe Penny that. Yeah. Um, and, it, and what the kind of, yeah, what's very sad about it is she doesn't say, she says she wasn't raped, but she was. <laughs> yeah. She said it's not rape because I said okay, but it wasn't far off. I think that's that could be just a quote in the film, but it's very similar in the book. Mm. So yeah, they're having this nice time, he, and also he's incredible. She's she's done really well for herself. Yeah. Like she's a BBC journalist, mm. and he, she takes him to see a movie, and she's got a little flashlight pen, and she's jotting down notes, which annoys him. Which annoys him. I think that's so cool. <laughs> it's, it's very I'd cool. love to know someone with a flashlight pen. <laughs> um, and um, he and he says this kind of snide remarks about how she's put on a lot of weight, and she's mm. wearing kind of a big floral dress, and she looks a bit mumsy-ish, and he's a bit like, oh god. Even though like she's obviously doing incredible she seems yeah. like a really good laugh and it's like well f- fuck you Rob yeah <laughs> and so then he's in the middle of this meal and she and he's a bit like so why did you dump me and and she was like well you dumped me mm. and then and he's like yeah but then you shagged Chris Thompson but you didn't want to shag me what was the deal what was wrong with me and he's all la 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 my social experiment I'm doing with myself and then she just gets really upset calls him a bastard and says this 
And she tells me with great force, with venom, frankly speaking, about what she remembers, that she was mad about me, that she wanted to sleep with me one day, but not when she was 16, and that when I packed her in, when you packed me in, she repeats furiously, because I was, to use your charming expression, tight, I cried and I cried and I hated you, and that, and then that little shitbag asked me out, and I was too tired to fight him off, and it wasn't rape because I said okay, but it wasn't far off. And I didn't have sex with anyone else until after university because I hated it so much. And now you want to have a chat with me about rejection. Well, fuck you, Rob. So that's another one I have to worry about. I should have done this years ago. Yeah, it's horrible. It's really horrible. It's really horrible. Yeah. And in the film in particular, it's played... Like, it's basically verbatim in the film. Yeah. And it's, like, played for such laughs. Or, like, this, this woman mm. is having this breakdown of, like, oh, my God, the person who, like, ruined my relationship with sex for most of my 20s is asking me about rejection. Yeah. And she's... And she, the, the actress who plays it, I have no idea who she is, but she does it really well. And mm. then it's like, oh, wow, I don't have to worry about it. And I, I hate it, but at the same time, I'm glad it's there because I think, you know, I think most... I think a lot of men's relationship with the word rape is that it is something that is thrown around to offend them, mm. you know, and not yeah. something that real women experience at least once in the, not, not like I mean most women experience some form of sexual assault mm-hmm. um, in their lives and I don't know it's this kind of it's this weird do you know the Kate McKinnon joke she, sorry it's a bit of a, a, side, a sideline but there's an SNL character she plays called Debette Goldry where um, it's always that she plays this very old aging film actress who's on like a panel with Emma Stone and Marianne Cotillard I don't know I haven't seen that though. and they, they they do this thing with her where they're like um uh, oh, we, we so we hear in Hollywood that there's a whisk, a whisper network between actresses in order to warn them about uh, troublesome men. And Debet, who's kind of senile and has a cane and big glasses, like, oh yes, back in the day we used to have a whisper network. We used to say he raped me, and the men's eyes would just glaze over. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's what wrong. it is. Yeah, I mean, it's um, definitely there wasn't like the mainstream language around what is and isn't rape and sexual assault and stuff uh, now that there was in 2000 and it definitely wasn't in 1995. Mm. So it's like it doesn't excuse anything that Rob does. No. But you can see why someone adapting it might not have might have glossed over they might have went that's a funny part and not went hang on a yeah. sec. You know? Because yeah. um, it is weird that it made it all the way into the film as well. Yeah. But it was 2000 where just people didn't necessarily if you listen back to even stuff from like 2008 rape was invented 18 months ago. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but if you listen back to like even like comedy from like 2008, 2009, there's all kinds of language that would yeah. not fly at all now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just hard. It, it's very hard now to get back to liking Rob after that scene once you get to it. Yeah. Like I literally like exhaled loudly when I got to that bit. I was like, yeah. fucking hell. And Rob. the fact that he never revisits Penny ever again. Yeah. Yeah, he never thinks about it. He never like... It's this weird thing where the whole Rob's whole journey is like he wants to be be a Bruce Springsteen song. He wants to go mm, back to his old yeah. loves, wish them well, and then bid them adieu. But he actually is not interested in the, any of their emotional realities, and mm. he's not interested in taking responsibility for his part in anything. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like he owes Penny a huge apology. Yeah, and he also um, gets super angry at Laura when she says that she slept with Ray, but yeah. he's the, like the night after. He's separate from Marie de Salle. Yeah. Like he yeah. just, he is a total hypocrite. Yeah. Um, he, 
yeah, it's it's I suppose it's kind of a testament to Cormy that we we still even consider him as a likable enough man. Yeah, I it guess. really is a testament yeah. to Cormy. <laughs> yeah, he can make you like anybody. Yeah. What I really like about Hornby as well is that he has said in interviews a lot that he's like completely over writing about like sad white men in their 30s mm. who can't get a girlfriend or whatever. And yeah. it, it definitely shows like he's done some amazing, like he adapted an education. He adapted Wild. Um, he's uh, written Brooklyn as well. Brooklyn as mm. well. Um, and he wrote a great book called Funny Girl, which I don't think got, got the press that it Oh, needs. I haven't read that one yet, actually. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's about a, a, an actress in the 60s making her way through the British comedy Oh yeah, kind of thing. I'll tell you something. I've kind of stopped saying I like Nick Hornby for a while. Why? A few years ago, I kind of got like embarrassed about like how like like completely middle middle brow he is. He's like the yeah. middle browest author. Yeah. And as I started like like hanging around the authors and stuff, and kind of making sure I read lots of Booker Prize books every year, mm-hmm. I kind of got a little bit embarrassed about how much I liked him. Yeah. So I kind of didn't same. come back to him for a long time. I think. Yeah. And it's only coming back to him now. I'm like, I'm going to reread. I'm definitely going to buy Funny Girl. I'm going to reread Juliet Naked and yeah. About a Boy. And yeah. But I yeah. did get a little bit embarrassed about. Because I, I am I'm now totally comfortable that I am the most middlebrow man in existence. I'm like <laughs> completely middlebrow. You are Mr. Arcade Fire. Like, I like, don't watch reality TV. Not because I judge it. I just, I'm not interested in it. And I'm also will never go to an opera. You know, I'm just. Oh my God, that is the middle. I'm just totally in the middle, you know. Wow. Like I went to the ballet and enjoyed it, but I will also never go to another ballet, probably. I've, <laughs> I've seen a ballet now, you know? So, yeah. You're Rob. I, I kind of am, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a... I, I guess if you were writing Rob now in 2019, he would basically be me, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I definitely, like, if you put down, like, my opinions and my knowledge of things in 1995, yeah. when I was 11, <laughs> it wouldn't be... Or even in 2000, it wouldn't be far off where Rob is, even though he was 16 years older than me at the time. But still... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Nick Hornby men are... Um, I got them at the right time, I think. Because mm. definitely having someone who is as bad a relationship as Rob is come into my life when I'm 18 mm. is a very instructive way yes. to learn about things. And then again, to have the guy from Juliet Naked come into my life when I was like 24 and kind of go, this is how you talk about music to people mm. sometimes. You know that, right? And like, oh, okay. I, I'm not going to do that ever again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let people out. They're like, I'm still a comedy snob. That's not going to go away. Okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Big Bang Theory, I'm sorry. I, I am. I just, <laughs> I, I just can't. But for music, I yeah. I can see the value in most things now. So what I like about Hornby, and I think actually, when I when I started writing my first book, um, I when I was talking to editors and my agent about it, I was like, I want to, like, I want to do a Nick Hornby book. And it turned out to not be a Nick Hornby book because you, you can't be the same as anybody else. Mm. But um, I was definitely my first draft of my first book was all like every like there was lists all the time oh yeah there was like little like oh here are my top two reasons for things here's my mm. top four reasons for this and having like breaks from the prose to do like here's a blog and like you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, that meant a lot to me um, but what I love about what I think I've ingested the most about Nick Hornby more than anything else is that he never lets anybody off the hook mm. um, and yeah, I think men can look at Rob and be like, oh God, I'm seeing some really uncomfortable things oh yeah, sure. about myself in here. But I look at characters in Nick Hornby's work and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's something really uncomfortable about myself that mm-hmm. I've never quite um, ingested before. And particularly, and I, I realise there's a kind of an egotism to me saying this, even though it's sort of self-flagellating, but there's some passages with how he describes Charlie okay. when he meets her in later life 
that I'm like, oh my God, that's how I act in front of people. Really? It's really terrible. And I think I'm going to find it now. And I think, I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of reading, but I just love this book so much. I had a load of things highlighted, but then all I bought cheap um, stickers from deals and they all fell out. So oh. I did have some. <laughs> Alan, you got to have brand name adhesives. I know. It's it's uh, a major oversight on my part. When it's, I go on a book podcast again, I will buy proper post-its. Yeah. Brand name adhesives always. Yeah. Um, so the thing with Charlie... Um, and she's definitely the most memorable girlfriend of the book and in, in his life. And he, he talks about like, you know, some people never got over Vietnam or the night their band opened for Nirvana and I never got over Charlie. Yeah. And um, and I'm not saying that she reminds me of me because like <laughs> men are pining out there. But he goes, so she's invited to a dinner. He's invited to a dinner party at Charlie's house in the, in the present day. And he gets there and everyone works in books and publishing and mm-hmm. the media, which is... Yep. A, a party at my house, <laughs> unfor- unfortunately. And everyone's like having these very sort of arch and self-consciously clever conversations mm-hmm. about like, oh, I named my dog after Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all so bristlingly pretentious and everyone's so pleased with themselves mm. and everyone's so ethical and but also talking about their most recent ski trip. And I'm not saying those are the conversations I have at my house, but I've definitely been in those circles enough times. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you're like, people don't talk like Gilmore Girls. Then you meet people who do, and you're like, oh, yeah. I don't want to be around these people at all. Yeah, well, yeah. I I have a lot of people <laughs> in my life who do talk like Gilmore Girls, you know what I mean? And like, um, and I remember that being a sort of a... I remember Gavin, when we first started going out, and I started taking him to places with friends and stuff, mm. and he was being like all he, he didn't he wasn't being cruel but he was like a lot of your friends just seem to like they talk as if they're trying to write a script about their own lives and i was like well at that point we were all 24 he's like well we most of them are yeah anyway it doesn't help that charlie talks bollocks all night she doesn't listen to anyone she tries she doesn't listen to anyone she tries too hard to go off at obtuse angles she puts on all sorts of unrecognizable and inappropriate accents i would like to say that these are all new mannerisms but they're not they were there before years ago The not listening I once mistook for strength of character. The obtuseness I misread as mystery. The accents I saw as glamour and drama. How had I managed to edit all this out in the intervening years? How how had I managed to turn her into the answer to all world's problems? Um, I I just felt so attacked. Really? (laughs) I really, I mean, again, it sounds really egotistical, but like I know that I can put on this thing where I'll like I'll put on like a pair of harem pants and heels and be like oh darling you must come in we're all talking about whether we'd have a you know whether we're Bruce Dobrukowski <laughs> but not that but you, you know what I'm saying I, yeah, yeah, I, I know yeah. I'm capable of incredible literary posturing and pretension mm-hmm. and oh la la tra la la because I've lived in London for almost 10 years you yeah. know and I don't know what to do with it and that's why I like about Hornby like nobody gets off the hook everybody has to have an uncomfortable experience with mm. these incredibly commercial middle brow books you know yeah yeah it's I mean everybody has that person in their life you're obviously that person in a lot of people I guess <laughs> are we going to cast the new film is there a new film? No. Oh, not. Jesus God. <laughs> you can't just say a thing like oh, that. No, it's just because on the, some of the earlier episodes you used to like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's so let's cast the new movie. Okay. Even I think the movie is completely perfect and never should be renamed. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but if you moved it back to like Britain and Ireland. Mm. Ooh. Because <gasps> I was talking about this with Carol Ann and she came up with the perfect new Rob. Who? Donald Gleeson. Very a, good. You just want him talking to a camera to you. Yeah. And he plays those characters who seem like really nice guys but are totally flawed like in Frank and stuff. Mm, that's very good. Donald Gleeson. Perfect, I think. Yeah. Um, who would be the new Dick and Barry? Okay, so... Oh, inevitably Barry would end up being James Corden. 
And he would just chew the fucking scenery. Exactly. I said, I basically, anybody but Corden. I think Nick Helm would be good. Who's that again? From Uncle. He is also, he's basically like a British Jack Black. He is, he looks like me, but he does like parody rock songs. Yeah. But in Uncle, he's like quite really sensitive. He's like a sensitive, toned down version of himself. Oh, okay. He's really good. Or, weird turn, James Acaster as Barry. Oh, I think he looks too similar to Donald Gleeson. That's the problem, It would be it? confusing for, yeah. for international viewing. Dick is hard, because it's hard to find, because Hadouiso is brilliant in that. It's such an understated, he does so many yeah. little things in that role. He's such a quiet, self-spoken, he's it's, like, he's very lovable in that. In oh, the yeah. Film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's a nice, sort of softly spoken little boy? The only person I could think of was, um, you know, Killing Eve. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it? Yeah. Okay, there's a guy in that, um, so anybody who's watched Killing Eve will know mm. the tech guy who's Fiona Shaw's son. Oh. Possibly him if you shaved his head, maybe because oh. he's a, 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 a nice boy. Nice boy. Maybe like Ben Whishaw or someone, or too I don't hot. know. Too hot. Yeah. Yeah. Too hot. Too obviously. It's hard hot. to find someone. It would be nice actually if in a in a newer version, not not only if it were you know less white, but if yeah. um because I would love to see how that sort of record shop dynamic because I, I kind of. I sort of associate record shops now on the same way I associate sort of vintage clothes shops mm. um, and kind of secondhand stories and that they're kind of very unique places for like queer people to sell like zines and t-shirts. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's what that, like what what has the record shop atmosphere become since the 90s? Like is it still a super white place where lonely men just drift through things or is it more likely to be, like could a, just a record shop survive in North London that way anymore? It's weird. It's weird. You know what? Most people I know who like buy vinyl, I think definitely like you, you see the record players on Instagram are women. Mm. Yeah, same. Yeah, I yeah. was thinking that too. Which is weird. I think so. That is definitely a different thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, what the f? are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So one, thing, one person we haven't spoken about yet much is Laura. Yes. Who you... Um, we're texting while you're reading it saying that yeah. you just you kind of fell in love with Laura all over again yeah because you don't really you don't see her until the last 50 pages of the book mm-hmm. the, the book basically starts with the door closing behind her yeah essentially so when she's back in his life it's like Laura's really funny yeah and she she sees through him completely mm-hmm. in, in but in an affectionate way yeah and it's in there's a bit in the film where he describes the five things he misses about Laura which he doesn't do in the book yeah and it's a nice moment where he like describes like her humour which is cutting but affectionate and dry and stuff mm. there's a lovely bit in the book where at the very start you know he, he thinks he's okay with it all mm. and he's saying he might like get a stencil of a like chess records put up on the wall yeah and then they're back together and she's like how long did it take you to think about getting a chess record stencil on the wall yeah and she's like i know you and that's carlanda's that to me all the time yeah. she'll go you were going to do this one she was like i was yeah 
<laughs> it's both infuriating and very lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I find her really, like, really funny. I'm not sure the actress in the film captures her brilliantly. Yeah, her fringe is very distracting. It is. With the, those fringes have associations now in 2019 that they didn't have in 2000. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the the book, book Laura, I loved. I actually thought she was like a great, great character. Yeah. I think what's um, one of those things that about the book that I... No, wait. One of those things that when I read it when I was a teenager that I kind of rejected, but I now understand it, is that um, when he's talking about missing Laura and he's like, um, you know... It you know it never made me anxious, but it never made me ecstatic either. And mm. I never I never spent all night worrying about her, but I never. Uh, yeah, basically there were no drastic highs and no cutting lows, but it was just really nice. And he was like, "It sounds boring, but it wasn't." Mm. And I remember as a teenager having incredibly dramatic relationships with people, thinking that it did sound boring. And now having spent you know five years in a monogamous relationship with the same person, I do and un- I understand the value of that of that niceness you know oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's brilliant um, it's not I was going to say easy but it's not easy it's just good yeah and it's like sometimes it's a little bit bad but it's mostly good good to great you know yeah. and I don't even know what that ecstatic thing really is it's it's like it's so short lived you yeah. know it's yeah. not it's nothing to build a life around yeah you can't like if you lived at that like the, the, marriage counselor Alan it's like now. the the hippos from Animaniacs you know they're always like mon ami oh my beautiful hippo you know <laughs> so that, live your life at that level you can't you know <laughs> just kissing each other's hands every day oh my and gosh. stuff it's like no just make each other a cup of tea yeah I, I think I think. Yeah. I mean my version of the hippos is um, Gomez and Morticia yes, from the Adams exactly. family and I do I do find myself slightly disappointed that real life isn't like that see if you were to, see you but I think you want to be Morticia Mm. You don't want it to, or no, you want like the the attention Morticia gets from Gomez. You yeah. don't want to put in that amount of effort all the time. No, that's very that true. Because you have I to, you to, to give that back as well, you know. Um, that's so true. And that, like the the way that they get back together is this really haunting scene where um, her dad has just died and mm. she's so overwhelmed by the grief of it. And Rob comes to the funeral and uh, she says, I'm I'm too tired not to be with you. Um, you know, like if I if my dad hadn't just died, if I wasn't so cut up, if this, 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 I would tell you to go fuck off. But at, at present, I sort of need the comfort of being with someone who loves me, mm. which is a really weird kind of like, wow, that's sort of upsetting and anticlimactic. But then they get back together and it just slowly, yeah. they slowly get back to an equilibrium mm-hmm. in a way that's very realistic to how people get back together. You yeah, because I think the, she says, um, I thought it would just be like one trade if I left that would be the thread but I'm we're in each other's lives in so many ways yeah that it's just there's so many threads to cut I just can't there's too many threads yeah it would require so much starting over to fully leave you I just it's not worth it which it's really stuck with me over the years it's it's a really I don't think there's anything like it in terms of reconciliation scene anywhere yeah. else that I've read that's as and it's, it is kind it's of haunting so bleak, isn't it yeah. it's bleak yeah um, but also no, it's just bleak. Yeah. It, yeah. So it, then the chapter kind of ends there and it's like, mm. and so she moved back in or whatever. And then it just, the next chapter is just five conversations. Yeah. And it's like them, just like little um, fragments of them having these very cute little mm-hmm. things. And we just slowly see over the course of this next chapter that they are slowly working their way back to a position yeah. of They're trust. Yeah, it didn't happen yeah. as well, which I think is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think if there were a couple who were 
breaking down and then decided to get back together or whatever. Mm. I think that is actually a really valuable part. It's like it doesn't get better immediately. Mm. They just learn to find it funny and they learn new ways to talk about it. And yeah. And then interestingly, in the last sort of 10 pages, this um, girl who comes to interview Rob called Caroline, another yeah. another bitchy Caroline in literature, ding, yeah. ding, ding, um, uh, comes in and he sort of fixates on her. Mm. And then he sort of starts making tapes for her. And that's when we know it's all about to go wrong. And we're like, no, Rob, you just got things back to an equilibrium with Laura. And then he just sort of abandons it. And he's like, oh, I'm sick of it. He's like, he's a bit mm. like Laura realizing she's too tired not to be with Rob. Yeah. Rob is too tired to like keep doing this endless thing of fantasizing about these random women he knows, making them tapes, wooing them with music. And then five years later, it breaking apart. Mm. And it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's like this weird last minute thing. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh... Like, I guess with most of the, the books you cover on here, there's kind of like a final getting together moment. Isn't there generally like or some, some Yeah, kind I of, guess there is. Yeah. Whereas this, it just kind of. They drift flows. They just kind of dr- yeah. they kind of drift on. And I guess it's more lived. It's more of a lived in kind of relationship. Yeah. It's like, I'm glad he stopped <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Um, I guess he's I guess he's the kind of person who he's only now realizing that just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you like stop thinking people are attractive yeah it doesn't mean you have to do anything about it and yeah. I get the, t- the main thing I took from this and it's kind of always stuck with me is that um, the thing you have with a person isn't just like your immediate level of attraction to them it's that plus everything you've built up together yeah so for someone new to be able to replace all of that mm. it can't happen whereas Rob was always just focusing on that one bit and kind of forgetting about all the other stuff around it that yeah. makes what he had special. Yeah. He kind of only starts to value that at the end, I guess, which is what the the uh, underwear conversation is about. Where he's like, I always like just imagine being surrounded by like fancy women's underwear and radiators, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. But, but, but surrounded by fancy women's underwear. And now I see like grey Marks gray and Spencer stuff on radiators everywhere, and it's like, but everybody has that. I have to accept that there will never be a woman who doesn't have that, and I keep on imagining there's going to be one that yeah. does, and it's not. So. And I think most people it, it's accept not, that. It's very simplistic, but I think yeah. also a thing people need to hear, mm. you know? Because so yeah. there are people who can't deal with the initial glow going away and they'll just mm. keep on, they'll keep trying to trade up so they can have that magical romantic first year with someone and then they'll dump them and then like, oh, I've met the new love of my life and you'll have to keep sort of mm. watching them go through this. Um, we should probably finish up. Probably. So, Alan... Thank you so much for coming on Sentimental Garbage. Thank you for having me. Um, Our first Dublin episode. I know. I'm absolutely delighted. I love this podcast. I'm delighted to be asked. And I love you. Um, You host a podcast called Juvenalia. I do. Tell us a little bit about that. So Juvenalia is a podcast where uh, we get a guest on and they pick a bit of pop culture that was really important to them when they were young and then they tell us about it and anything else that jumps off of that topic for them. Caroline has been on the show three times? Four times. Four times. Twice as a guest, twice as a host. Yes, that's true. The fifth Beatle. Yeah, the fifth, our, she is our fifth Beatle. <laughs> so um, I am delighted to be able to come back on to, to come on to your podcast. Mm. For once, so it's, it's good. Well, yeah. thank you very much. This has been a delight. Thanks for listening to Sentimental Garbage. This podcast was produced by me, Karen O'Donoghue, courtesy of Tall Tales Studio in Dublin. If you want to get in touch with me by the podcast, you can do so at zaralineodonoghue at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by The Croke Park, modern luxury in the heart of Dublin City. Visit doycollection.com forward slash hotels The Croke Park Hotel to plan your perfect weekend city break. Bye! Hold up. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.